0: Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host Michael Braden, of course to go by SEC Mike on Twitter. No Shane, remember he's day one of the vacation, day two of a new diet for old cousin Shane. So hopefully the Tennessee Hobers. Doing well, but uh didn't want to go another day without giving you guys some SEC insight. And we do have a little bit of news, a little bit of notes here. We're going to try a new series starting today, a little season recap. Thanks to my buddy Dave Bartu from Matrix Analytical, who's going to uh, join the show at some point to kind of break down these numbers. But a little recap, season recap for each and every team. We're going to start today. With the defending two-time national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. We'll get to that in just a minute. But man, last episode was so much fun. Going over our worst hot takes from last season. Already on record for a couple hot takes for 2023. And I asked the listeners, share me some of your best hot takes. Uh, I just want to run through a couple of these that I really enjoyed. Built by Bully, Mississippi State fan, says Texas A&M beating Alabama. That's not the hot take. Hot take, Mississippi State beats Alabama in 2023. Alabama's got a 15-year streak in that series. So it's a little too hot for me. How about, uh, and that was from Built by Bully. How about Kobe McKeon? Tennessee will be Georgia's only loss next season I feel like that's going to be a popular pick with uh, the game in Neyland Stadium Christopher Baster Joe Milton takes home the Heisman Trophy we found Cousin Shane's burner right there it goes by Christopher Baster (laughs) how about Chris Phillips aka the Spurs Up show friend of the show South Carolina will finish second in the SEC East next season it's pretty bold Peter English, he's high on a Hugh Freeze train. Peter predicts Auburn will win the SEC West. What? I don't know about that. Brett Sarver, big Mizzou man. Missouri has a top 15 defense that leads them to Atlanta and the college football playoff. Love the optimism, but as Mizzou, one, two, three points out. That's not a bold take, Brett. Everyone thinks this is going to happen. <laughs> Cousin Ollie, his prediction, Mitch Barnhart will not be AD in Kentucky in January 2024. I believe Mitch is the uh, longest tenured AD in the SEC, so that is pretty bold. jdv 18 LSU wins the Natty. Sounds like Shane there. Sponge Gata, Florida will win at least eight games despite... The toughest schedule in college football. The turnaround starts. Florida will be a possible contender in 2024 with the expanded 12-team playoff. Love to see it. How about this one from Tim Perdon. Vandy, 6-1 going into the Georgia game in Nashville. Vandy, 6-1. That does not compute. But you look at their schedule. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But Hawaii at home. Alabama A&M, that's the, that's the right Alabama you want to get, at Wake Forest, at UNLV, Kentucky at home, Mizzou at home, at Florida. So, Tim, he might be onto to something. Six and one again. It's probably too rich for my even my blood there, but could happen. The hottest take of them all, you take the cake, Dogzilla. Nick Saban gets fired. <laughs> That's when I knew this thing was off the rails. I was like, all right, I, got, I got to stop keeping track of these because Nick Saban, no chance in hell, he gets fired. And of all these hot takes, I got to be honest, the one that uh, most realistic, LSU winning the national championship. Not going on record saying it's happening, but I think the Tigers are going to be in, mix, in the mix all season long. So keep an eye on that. Don't be surprised, LSU, big-time factor. They're going to be a popular top-ten preseason team. I think Alabama will be the pick to win the West, but LSU will probably be number two. Long way to go before we get there, though, of course. So, before we get rolling with the news, though, I just want to throw this uh, clip of Greg Sankey. I just thought this was fantastic. Calling out Big Ten commissioner, former Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, who, remember, he tried to have college football canceled during the COVID season. He delayed the expansion of the college football playoff. We probably already have it now. They delayed it a year in 2023 if Kevin Warren and company did not delay it for a year when they already knew it was going to happen. I know that's something that pissed Greg Sankey off, uh, but this is during Georgia's victory Parade over the weekend. Greg Sankey did not hold back. Calling out. Didn't call him out by name. But clearly, he's making fun of old Kevin Warren. Dipping into college football. Making some big time moves. And I would even mention UCLA and Southern Cal to the Big Ten. It's. <laughs> I, I really think that's going to blow up in their face. But they, they, hey, they got what they wanted. They wanted additional revenue for their TV rights deal. And they got that. So, Hey. Let's kick it over to Greg Sankey mocking letting someone like Kevin Warren potentially blow up our sport here. We've also honored the memory of Coach Dooley this fall, just as we did today. He committed to build a foundation, he committed as a leader. And we need leaders today in college football and in college sports, not leaders who make a stop to build a resume and go on to something else. But those who understand the problems ahead are real and demand our attention. And why I just wanted to just highlight that little segment. I know that's not much, but I think it is really important that people that clearly don't give a damn about college football, they just care about, you know, making money for the sport and everything. And, and, not not only that making money but also advancing their careers we got to be real careful to give these people the power to change the landscape of our sport because at the end of the day he's going to be sitting in the nfl making his money doing whatever the hell he wants while college football has to deal with the debris so to speak of of his rampage of, of coming through for only a couple of years so I think, uh, you know, while Sankey's comments there, may, may that may just be a throwaway burn there, but I don't know. I think there's some true, true wisdom in what he's trying to say because uh, we I don't think we're certainly not better off for Kevin Warren's couple of years there in the Big Ten serving as commissioner of that league. Again, not a ton of news around the SEC, but something we have yet to hit on, great news for the Florida Gators Start of that turnaround right there. Ricky Pershaw, the receiver, has announced he is coming back for another season. Could have went off to the NFL. He's going to be number one target for whoever the quarterback is there in Gainesville next season. And he was arguably your best receiver already. You could maybe say Justin Shorter deserves that title. But Ricky Pershaw, this is big get. Uh, we've we've already got so much questions with uh, the offensive line, which they have been Attacking via the transfer portal. We have questions at quarterback, whoever that is, they're going to need some reliable weapons to get this offense, taking it to the next gear. Ricky Pershaw, that's huge for the Florida Gators and their passing attack for next season. Staying in the SEC East, hey, take this with a grain of salt, but I know Tennessee fans are pretty fired up. I don't know what all goes into this, but for fans of on three sports, Volunteer fans, you just became fans of it, trust me. They've got Nico Iamala, I don't know how to say his last name. The five-star quarterback, not as the number one quarterback in the country, the number one overall prospect signed by any program, Tennessee's five-star quarterback. So, again, more hype, as if there could be any more hype on this uh True freshman coming into the SEC. He's playing this Friday in the uh, what's called the Polynesian Bowl on the NFL Network. So that'll be an opportunity for the Vols to to see what uh, Nico can do in an all-star setting. But I know people are high on Joe Milton. Hell, we've got we got Milton win the Heisman. Cousin Shane says Milton will be in the Heisman conversation. I'm not trying to bash him or anything because I'm not going to do that. But. I could certainly see a situation playing out here on Rocky Top similar to a couple of years ago at Clemson when they had an elite quarterback coming into the program by the name of Trevor Lawrence, but standing in his way was senior Kelly Bryant, I think was his name. And what happened? Offense started slow. They needed a spark. They went to Trevor Lawrence. They went on to win the national championship. So, whoa, speaking of hot takes, I'm not sitting here saying Tennessee's winning the national championship next season. But I could see a similar scenario where Joe Milton, I mean, you lose, let's say you lose the Florida game, a game, it is in Gainesville, but one I think the majority of Tennessee fans, based on what Florida is now and what Tennessee has been under Josh Heupel, they'll expect to win that game. Or maybe even the Virginia... I mean, God, I'm trying to be positive. We're not losing any of these games, right? But if the offense sputters in these games, I would not be stunned if Josh Heupel pulls the trigger and puts the true freshman in there. So, I don't know. I could just... Something tells me that a situation like that could be brewing. And again, this is not me saying Nico's the best player in the country. This is on three sports. So, if he is that good... He's gonna be on the field before long, unless Joe Milton just is just incredible and in the no drop off from uh, Henning Hooker and his elite play, which I just I don't know if that's gonna be happening or not. One thing that happened since we last recorded: the NFL draft deadline has come and gone, so we know now the players that have declared early. For the NFL Draft. We have a number out of, out of the SEC. I think NIL though has certainly helped. Some players stay in college. So I, I think. A, yet another aspect that NIL. Is possibly helping. SEC in college football. And two teams in particular. Following the deadline. I got some winners and losers. Following the deadline. To declare for the NFL Draft. I think the biggest winner. Out of the SEC, South Carolina. You get Spencer Rattler back, getting receiver Juice Wells back, offensive tackle Jalen Nichols is back, and cornerback Marcellus Dial. Four key contributors that could have declared early for the NFL draft back in Columbia to anchor year three under Shane Beamer. I think South Carolina fans, you ought to be doing cartwheels for what your team is, was able to pull off at the end of the season, obviously, and now that momentum carries over with these players making their declarations of return. And one other team out of the SEC East as well, the Missouri Tigers. Some surprising returns here for Mizzou. Chris Abram-Drain, Enos Rakestraw, Tyron Hopper, the linebacker, Darius Robinson. If I'm a Mizzou fan... I'm pretty fired up. We're going to be disrespected, going to be under the radar. And Clearly, if you listen to this show, you know Missouri's defense, criminally underrated, the strongest unit on the field for the Tigers last season and with a lot of these players. And maybe Trajan Jeffcoat, who he announced he's coming back. He announced he's in the portal. Looked like he was going to South Carolina. Doesn't look like that's happening now. Maybe he returns. I don't know if he's welcome back after – all this jumping around. But can you blame him? He's from South Carolina. I think he's even from Columbia. So maybe we're getting even Jeff Cope back, which would be another boost to this Missouri defense. Big winners from the NFL draft deadline here. Now, the losers, two of them really stand out. And it's got to start with Alabama. Bryce Young, I think the best quarterback in school history, off to the NFL. I think he should be the first overall player. Taken Will Anderson, likely going to be a top five pick, if not two or three, something like that. Outstanding linebacker, two-time defensive player of the year. Jameer Gibbs running back. And then the secondary just got decimated. Jordan Battle, Brian Branch, DeMarco Hellams, Eli Ricks, all off to the NFL, along with Henry Toa Toa. So, hey, everybody's happy to see Pete Golden gone. Our defense is going to be great again. Really? Just losing all this talent. Now, I know they just reload down there in Alabama, but this is a, you know, losing all these players is a big reason why I'm down on Alabama, and I say down. I got them as the number 4 team in the SEC right now, which makes them around the top 5, top 8 team in the country. So, I'm not too down on yet, but lower than maybe I've ever been since Nick Saban started winning those titles. I think Alabama is a clear loser of the NFL deadline here. And the other one, no stunner, Georgia, Jalen Carter, top two, three pick here, defensive tackle off to the NFL. Darnell Washington, just incredible athlete. He's like an offensive lineman that can catch the ball, make plays. He's a freak athlete. I think he may even be a first-round pick. I think he. I think that's a guy that in the NFL is going to be more productive than he even was in college just because they had so many freaks down there. Warren Erickson, the offensive guard. Kiaris Jackson, receiver. Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon, offensive tackles, all gone. Kenny McIntosh, the running back. Jack Plozny, the kicker. Kaylee Ringo, Nolan Smith. A lot of talent gone from Georgia. A lot of talent gone from Alabama. But the key, if I'm an Alabama or Georgia fan, we are not taking a hit in overall talent because we're so loaded. So, I say they're losers only because they've lost so much talent. But these two programs suited to take hits like that unlike any other in the country. The third loser, not as much talent lost as Alabama or Georgia, but the problem here is they don't have the experience, the talent, ready to step up, and that's the Florida Gators. And you may be wondering, well, what the hell? They they weren't that good this year. Well, Anthony Richardson, he's another one I think he could blow up in the NFL. And we're going to be wondering, you know, why it didn't work at Florida. Just ceiling as high as any quarterback prospect potentially in this draft. Osiris Torrance was their best overall player. Both gone to the NFL. Gervin Dexter, Trey Dean, Justin Shorter, Rashad Torrance, and, and Brenton Cox, if you can count him, even though he got kicked off the team. It's a lot of talent, particularly off that defense. that wasn't good anyway. So, Florida, I think you're my third biggest loser following the NFL draft deadline. I just don't know that you'll be able to replace these guys next season, but uh, we'll find out. And one just wanted to make note of this guy because I think he's going to be the toughest player of any that have declared early for the draft, toughest to replace in the SEC, and that's Drew Sanders, the linebacker of Arkansas. Just came in there one year, one and done for the Razorbacks after coming from Alabama. But, I mean, he was probably a top five player in the SEC this year. And they got talent in Fayetteville, but I don't – particularly on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think they've got anyone near the caliber of Drew Sanders, particularly with uh, Jalen Catalan off to Texas. (laughs) That, That hurts to say. But Drew Sanders, he will be missed, no doubt about it. Now, final thing I wanted to hit on on this episode Reference it right off the top. Closing the chapter on the 22 season, I wanted to discuss some numbers provided to me. by Dave Two Matrix Analytical. If you ain't following Dave Two at CFB Matrix on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. He's one of the best out there, very knowledgeable. And uh, his company is, is doing big things there. And he has provided me all this data on every SEC team. The two biggest stats in college football, offensive and defensive scoring efficiency. And Dave has taken it even one step further, analyzing week by week the offensive and defensive efficiency of the opponents faced for every single college football team. And by just analyzing this data and looking at it, it tells a story. And if you're not looking at the graph here on YouTube, might be a little bit tougher to understand completely, get the complete picture. So I highly recommend you check it out on YouTube if you want to see what we're talking about here. But I will say this, Georgia's offensive efficiency by the end of the season, number five in the country, truly elite only bested by their defense, which finished number two in scoring efficiency. So all-time great team. That's how you go 15-0, win the SEC, win the national championship in the largest margin of victory in playoff history. But that doesn't tell the entire story. If you look at the efficiency of the offenses Georgia faced, number 85 in the country, which is pretty awful. It means they didn't really get tested much by facing quality offenses. The overall efficiency of the defenses faced, number 74. And I'll tell you, a little behind the scenes here, when Dave shared this information with me, it was leading up to the college football semifinals, Georgia and Ohio State. He shared the data with me, and he says, hey, I know everybody and their mother thinks Georgia is going to destroy or beat Ohio State. I mean, it was like a touchdown spread. According to his data, Ohio State, which had very similar numbers as Georgia, Georgia and Ohio State had about the same offense and defensive efficiency numbers, but Ohio State had been tested significantly tougher. So what did that tell him? That told him that Ohio State was likely to win that game. He said it was a toss-up And he'd lean Ohio State. Now, clearly, it didn't work out that way. Georgia made an epic comeback. But until that comeback, I mean, Dave, I mean, he just nailed it. Ohio State went toe-to-toe with Georgia. Toughest test Georgia had the entire season. So, I say all that to say this. Looking at the data here, it's pretty remarkable that uh, this data begins week five of the season, because you can't get an overall picture of these graphs until you actually have some data. So Bartu waited to the first month of the season to kind of judge everybody. And it's pretty interesting. Georgia, after the first month of the season, had the, the 13th best scoring efficiency in the country. And as they got into SEC play, I mean, they just got better and better and better. And I think that played out. Because when they faced Missouri, their offense was clearly not as good as it was at the tail end of the season when no one could stop it. So I just thought that was pretty interesting. They went from 13th best offense in the country, entering the second month of the season, all the way to number eight after facing Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Florida. So, again, kind of some terrible defenses. Missouri was a good defense, but... Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Florida, awful defenses. Georgia's offense got better, and that's what a good team does. You face a bad defense, your offense should improve. That was another key sign that Georgia was going in the right direction. The toughest offense Georgia faced this season, no surprise, Tennessee. Tennessee, really, once they faced the Volunteers, before they faced Florida, the average scoring offense of the team they had faced before Florida was number 93. And after facing Tennessee, that number skewed all the way down to 61. So we're talking 30 percentage points hit there after facing Florida and Tennessee, two of the better offenses they faced all season long, which is pretty interesting. When you, Tennessee had a really good offense. Florida was really hit or miss, but just playing those two made a huge difference in Georgia's overall schedule. And one thing that I just found fascinating, after all the talk of Georgia's defense taking a step back, Georgia's defense never ranked lower than number three in scoring defensive efficiency all season long. They were number one for a good portion of it. Tennessee, Florida, neither one was good enough to knock Georgia from the number one scoring efficiency defense in the country. That came a little bit later in the season when Georgia finished (laughs) number two. So you're either elite or you're not, as old Kirby Smart likes to say. And I just thought, uh, you know, breaking down that information, I thought Georgia fans would appreciate that. And this one is its a little bit hard to make a compelling story out of Georgia just because they were essentially outstanding the entire season. Uh, as we get into more of these charts, more of these graphs, you, you can see some wild variations from SEC teams that are not on Georgia's level, which is everyone, because <laughs> no one was on Georgia's level this past season. But I wanted to start with the dog, start with Kirby Smart, fired up there from uh, the victory parade there <laughs> over the weekend. Didn't tell me last year we were going back to back. You know, a lot of doubt started to creep in for a big home game that was brewing. And it was right after one of our biggest rivals. We go to Jacksonville, we come back here to play, and you guys, the people in these stands, were elite for that game. Best home game I've ever been a part of. Made it electric, took over the stadium, did an incredible job. We had a guy that got defensive player of the game in that game. You know, he didn't have to come back. He's going to be a first-round pick. He's going to probably be a top-ten pick, maybe a top-five pick. But he elected to come back and play in that game because of the love he has for his brothers. Jalen Carter, thank you so much for coming back and finishing it the right way. Hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. I thank each and every one of you for hanging out. And we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy. This beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.